Let's go back in history to 49 B.C. In that particular year, a decision was made by a great leader, and that decision changed history. His name was Julius Caesar. Julius found himself in Gaul, just north of a river that was 24 miles long, at the border with Italy. And he made a decision to take his army and march into Italy and there confront Pape and his particular army and bring civil war and defeat, and he became the emperor. The name of that river was the Rubicon. And some of you know that throughout our history, we have used the name of that river as a significant moment in someone's life when we say they have crossed the Rubicon. They have made a decision. Whether it's good or bad, they made a decision. It's going to be hard to reverse that decision. But there's good news. God can reverse any decision that man makes. And that's why we call it good news. The last three weeks, we looked at three different individuals. The thief on the cross... He crossed his Rubicon because he admitted who he was and who Christ was, and as a result of that, entered into paradise with him. The woman caught in adultery. No doubt she was a guilty person, but when Christ says, where are your people who condemn you? She said, there are none, sir. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. A Rubicon was crossed. Now her life has changed. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, you remember what he did. He gave half of his money away and then paid four times to anyone whom he had cheated, and he had cheated everyone. That was a decision that changed his life forever. Today we come to the apostle Peter. Peter was an unusual disciple. He was part of the top three on the executive team. James and John and Peter traveled everywhere with Christ, as the other disciples did, but they had this, this close union with him. And yet, on a particular night, the night of the arrest of Christ, Peter crossed his Rubicon. Now, you and I have too. There have been those great decisions we've made in life where because of that decision, Everything was better. There have been those decisions in life where we made it, it wasn't a good decision, and everything got worse. You have your Rubicons. But we want to learn something from it today. As we look at Peter, and we see that the grace of God is so good that he can turn your life around even when something has happened with you. So read with me as we look at this first section of Luke 22 that's discussing Peter's difficulty. Talking about Jesus, Luke writes, Then seizing him, meaning Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. 
but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. What catches my attention in this text are those words, Peter followed at a distance. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not supposed to be one at a distance. It's supposed to be up close and personal. That's what God wants. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with him, like Peter and James and John had had up to this moment. Distance matters because the extent of the distance indicates your relationship with the Lord. He loves you. His grace is available to you. But the further you get from him by your actions, your words, your thoughts, the less likely you are to receive that grace and that mercy because you're distancing yourself from him. Now, you'll never lose his love because nothing can separate you from that. But Peter made a drastic mistake on this night. You remember it started like this. They left the meal and they went to the garden. And in that garden, Jesus said to them, you stay here and pray. I'm going to go over there and pray. And many of us remember the event with Jesus because he was wrestling with what was about to come in his life. And he wanted these disciples praying about it. And he came back to them and they had fallen asleep. And Jesus said, could you not have prayed for one over, one hour? Watch and pray. And he went back and he did it again. And he came back and they were still asleep. And then Judas shows up with the soldiers. And Judas comes and he kisses Jesus on the cheek, pointing him out to the soldiers who now are going to arrest him. And Peter takes his sword out and he cuts the ear off of one of the, the high priest's servants. Jesus restores it immediately. But that's Peter. Peter's like that. He resheathes his sword and he's standing there. Now they arrest him and they lead him away. And all the disciples fled, except for John, who it is believed stayed with Christ throughout the process. But Peter followed at a distance. Distance matters. What a sad commentary for a guy who had made a statement, Matthew 26, 33. He said, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I never will. Careful what you say. Because you never know how it's going to come out. Be careful what you don't say. You know, be ready to close that gap through your confession about Jesus. There was an English pastor by the name of Hugh Latimer in the 16th century. He was called to preach once before Henry VIII. And as he was approaching the steps, and there would have been 13 steps leading up to this high pulpit from which he would preach. As he was approaching the steps, he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say now, because the king is here. Then he tells the story that as he went up those steps and got nearer to the top, he heard another voice saying, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you don't say, because the king of kings is here. You see, we live in the presence of a king of kings. The question is, how close? 
How closely do you walk with him on a day-to-day basis? How many conversations do you have with him throughout the day? How much do you depend upon him for the, the small things and the large things? Peter comes to this point in his life where fear overtakes his faith. For he is just so concerned about what's going on. He says to this girl, you know, I, I don't understand. No, I don't know him. There they were by a fire. And the fire was outside the priest's palace. It was a cold night. I believe if hoodies had been invented then, Peter would have had one on. Okay, he would have flipped it up over his head, you know, and been hiding like this so nobody would know who he was. Because he was afraid. Maybe there's somebody here that, that knew that I was with him in the garden and somebody told him I cut off that ear. What are they going to do with me? And what about Jesus? If they convict him of being an insurrectionist, they'll come after me. All these things are going through his mind. And so when the fire flames up and the light cast across his face, the girl says, I know you. You're, you're one of them. You're a follower of his. And that first response, be careful what you don't say. That first response, no, I don't know him. The distance just expanded. Anytime you deny Christ, the distance expands. Let me ask you a question. Answer it in your own mind and heart. How long does it take someone to know whether or not you're a Christian? When you're involved in in relationships, when you're talking to other people, are you afraid to say, oh, by the way, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you trying to hide it, thinking it will offend someone? You You don't want to be the one who offends someone. The gospel will take care of that on its own. But you should say, I'm a Christian. I remember once Linda and I were in an airplane and I was talking with a Muslim and he was explaining the Quran to me and his faith in Islam. And, and I listened intently and when it was over he said, you know, if you deny Jesus, you could be a Muslim. And I said, well, you know, I believe in this Bible, you believe in the Quran. And you do what it says and I do what this says. You understand that? And he said, yes. And I said, so... If it instructs me in a certain way, I'm going to follow that instruction. And he said, well, you should. I said, that's right. And it says here, if you deny me before men, my Father in heaven will deny you. I said, so how smart would it be for me to deny Christ sitting here with you? He said, it wouldn't be. I said, no, it's not, and it's not good for you either. And it was a pleasant conversation. Because, you see, we had started it off, and Linda and I always do, when we're with people. I hear her all the time saying, hi, I'm a Christian. And you know, you get two responses. You get the response from the other Christian who will say, oh, that's just great, praise the Lord, and they hug and they're friends for life. (laughs) Or you get the non-believer who says, okay, that's good. I, I don't believe that way, but that's fine that you do. And at least you know then the ground upon which you stand. And you know how to carry out a really good conversation because you have not distanced yourself from your confession with Christ. And that's what Peter had just done. He had, he had put this distance. Not only had he done that, but he wasn't willing to admit his sin. If he had said there in the fire, you know, I feel like denying him, but I tell you what, I'm going to confess that right now, and I'm going to ask forgiveness for it, and I know I'll receive it. So, yeah, I was one of his, um, and I'm not going to cover that up. 
the writer Scott Peck said this, it's not their sins per se that characterize evil people. Rather, it's the subtlety and persistence and consistency of their sins. And this is because the central defect of evil is not the sin, but the refusal to acknowledge it. So he would not acknowledge that he was sinning. He increased the distance. And that's just the first denial. Then we move to the second denial. Very short, one verse, 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. He said, man, I am not. Now, some theologians say what he actually did there, the form of the language that he used, is he was taking an oath. He was cursing. He was saying something that would cause the crowd that was listening to think, oh, if he was a follower of him, he wouldn't talk like that, so he's not a follower of him. So here's Peter now trying to identify with unbelievers, trying to say, I'm just like you. You know, it's okay. Not willing to stand there in the truth and say, yes, I'm glad that I knew him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's so many who are. You know, Years ago, the church, with a big C, made a decision. They said, we want to reach people who aren't going to church. And we figured out the best way to do that is to be like the world so they'll come in. Well, it worked. They came in, but it didn't work because the church then became like the world. And it no longer communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gave all sorts of other lessons and teachings but nothing that had to do with faith and repentance and sin and forgiveness. When we recognize that God has called us into this close relationship, we should not want to identify with those outside of that relationship. Love them, communicate with them, help care for them, but do not be like them. Jesus said, you must be in the world, but not of the world. So you don't need to try to identify with unbelief. It's like saying the only way you can know good is to experience evil. You don't have to experience evil to know the difference between good and evil. So here's Peter wanting to identify with them. And what he's just done is he's taken his first moment of sin, he's now compounded it into a second moment of sin, increasing that distance again. And someone said, the devil's hounds hunt in packs. It's never a single issue. When the devil starts coming after you, he's going to come after you from multiple points to try to take you down. And when you yield to that, remember what Jesus said to Peter? Satan, get behind me. Not that Peter had become Satan, but that he was under the influence of him because Peter was saying, you shouldn't die. This will never happen to you. No, Peter, you don't know what God knows. So he's compounding this issue. He's having difficulty with recognizing who he is. And you know why? I really believe this. I believe the reason that Peter slipped like that 
started back in the garden when he failed to pray. Prayer closes the gap. Prayer gets you into that position with God where he can talk to you and you can talk with him. You know, prayer is the key. If he had prayed as Jesus had requested, then wouldn't it have worked? See, prayer is the essential way that we stay in a close relationship with Jesus. There was a, a priest of Smyrna, Bishop of Smyrna in the second century, and he was well known. He was a great man. He was 86 years old. And God came to him when he was praying once, and God said, two weeks from now, I'm going to take you. I'm going to bring you home. You're going to come in the fire. So he said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want. Two weeks later, soldiers show up. We're going to arrest you because you have not denied Christ yet. He said, may I have an hour to pray? They said, okay. He took two. And then they took him, and they had the fire all ready for him. They hadn't lit it yet. They put him up there. They staked him to it. They lit the fire. Those who observed it from the stands and wrote about it later, both Christians and non-Christians, said this. It was the most miraculous thing. For the fire went up, but it went around him and created an ark over him and never touched him. And God had said, we're going to take you in the fire, not through the fire, not by fire. And the spectators said he was just glowing, not because of fire, but because he was in the spirit. And the only way they could kill him then was to stab him. Why did he have that kind of an ending? Because he prayed. See, prayer just closes that gap so much. You should be praying all the time about everything, about the little things, about the huge things. Pray with thanksgiving over the good things. Pray when the bad things are happening. There's never a time that we should not be in constant communication with God. That's what he wants from us. Well, Peter failed on that account. Remember when Jesus also said, Peter, Satan would have you and sift you like sand. But I have prayed for you. Now we know the end of the story that Peter is reinstated, that the grace of God is good for him. Why? Because Jesus prayed for him. He is our intercessor. That's why prayer is so important. He modeled it for these disciples. When they looked for him and couldn't find him, he was off praying. When he finished his teaching, he would go up and pray. When he'd get up early in the morning and the disciples were still sleeping, he'd go off for prayer. Prayer was his way of keeping no distance between himself and his Father. And prayer is the way you and I can get that distance reduced so that we are closer and closer in our relationship with him. Measure your distance. You know what it is. You know in your own heart. And if you're feeling guilty about that distance, it's probably because you are. But that's okay, because all you have to do is pray and say, Lord, I want to close the gap today. Can you help me? Now, that's just the second denial of Peter. Let's go to the third one, verses 59 and 60. 
About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So here's, here's Peter. Someone now comes to him. And they say, you know, this guy is from Galilee. Can't you, can't you hear his accent? I mean, you can tell he's not from Judah. He, he's from up in Galilee. And the only reason anyone from Galilee would be where he is tonight is because he's a follower of Jesus. Accents are, are interesting, aren't they? I mean, Alan has a great accent. Um, I don't really want his accent. But no, I, I love it. Isn't it. It's a sweet twist. Well, I've never used my accent. See, I grew up in Georgia, in the mountains. And that's where true English is spoken. <laughs> For example... If I wanted to know if someone had eaten yet, I would say, Derek, Chet-Chet, you don't recognize that? Did you eat yet? Except eat in the past tense in Southern English is it. Did you eat yet? Chet-Chet? <laughs> and if he hadn't, I'd say, squeet. Let's go eat. When my wife and I go south, she'd rather sit in the back seat so I can be driving Miss Daisy. I mean, because she can't stand the fact that I slip into this accent. Because I don't want to be known <clears throat> as a Yankee. Okay? So just imagine, here's Peter, and he's trying to put on an accent that's not his, and they can pick it up right away. He's a redneck. You can hear it right away. He's with Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And he's so emphatic this time when he says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Are you kidding me? Peter, there's no doubt that you know. But you've allowed fear to overcome faith. Now, we were not given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind and self-control. So this fear is not coming from God. It's coming from the evil one. Satan is truly sifting him. He wants that distance to be as far as it possibly can be. He wants to put a distance not only between the spiritual level of faith, but the fellowship. Because if he can't destroy your faith, he will try to destroy your fellowship. Your fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Your fellowship with your spouse, with your children, with your relatives, with your friends, with your work, with your church. That's what he's about. He came to seek and destroy. Now here's Peter, who has put such a distance now between himself and Christ that you can't imagine he'd ever be restored. He's, he's just torn in his heart. He didn't understand something that John had written in 1 John 4.18. The Apostle John writes, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear 
has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God had made Peter perfect in love, but now Peter was allowing that love to slip away. He wasn't following as he should. So here he is in the deepest depression he could be in at that moment, having now denied Christ three times. And what happens? Jesus walks by. And he turns and he looks right into the eyes of Peter. The look. My mother had the look. <laughs> Any of you have moms or dads like that? She would look at me, and I didn't even have to confess. She already knew. Somehow moms do that. And I was just, my life would go before my whole face, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm going to die here. Because <laughs> she knows, she knows. Well, Jesus looks at Peter, and I have to believe that Peter's life flashed in front of him. Oh, I remember that first day on the water when Jesus said, row your boat out a little so I can talk to the crowd. And after he had finished and I'd heard that wonderful message, he said, cast your net over here. And I caught more fish than I've ever caught before up to that time. It was just an amazing thing. And then I followed him for three years, and I saw the miracles. And I heard him talking about a comforter that was to come and talking about the Father. And then the Mount of Transfiguration was unbelievable. I saw Jesus in his glory with Moses and Elijah. What an amazing event. I wanted to stay there and build a house. And, and then tonight, there we are in that dinner, and he washed my feet. And then he prayed that amazing prayer that you and I know is John 17. Yes, all these things are flashing through him, and the guilt is overwhelming in him as he looks at these eyes. But these were not eyes of condemnation. These were eyes of love. It's almost like Jesus was saying, two things, Peter. I told you so, and I forgive you. The space between them physically was not very far. But spiritually, it was two different worlds. Jesus, on that night, chose to cross the Rubicon because he made the decision to pay the price to the Father for the reinstatement of all of us who have fallen from him. He made the choice to pay that penalty by going to hell. He made the choice by rising from the dead and overcoming death, that final enemy, he made the choice then to make it available to all of us that he says, come unto me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, that you can have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. What is your distance between you and Jesus Christ? We all have a distance. But how far is it? If it doesn't exist at all, I want to say this to you. It can begin today as you ask him to come in. When I first asked him to come into my life and take over, I had no idea what that meant because we don't understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. And I believed that God would change my life. And so I said, take it over. It's all yours. On that night, Peter exhibits this same kind 
of release, this closing of the gap, because he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Why is he weeping? I think he's weeping more because he knows he's forgiven than he is because he sinned. I think there's repentance there. But I think that he recognized what Christ was about to do. You can be restored. We have all been traitors to Christ at some time in our lives. But you can be restored. Accept Christ. And if you're already a follower, follow him as closely as possible. Enhance that through your prayer life. And you will have the victory. And you will be able to walk with him the way he intends. That's the good news. Christ died for you. Now live like it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your unending love. We thank you, Lord, that you know how many steps it is from us to you. Spiritual steps, physical steps, you know it. So we're asking that you would help us close that gap. Bring us into a tight relationship with you that we would not be ashamed of who we are and who we follow. Give us a boldness to go into this world and with your love communicate the gospel to others. Give us a heart for the good news, Lord. And to that end, we pray, expecting it to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.